Welcome to the thirteenth episode of Something in the Crumbs.、Uh, I am Unsung Kim, and I'm Kim Wen. We're so excited to have you, Divya, Jamie, Flint. Who am I forgetting? Cindy, Cindy <laughs> Joe, William. Hi. Hi. Most of you will be guest starring soon, so you know. Also, if we did not say your name, then email us. Yeah, we'll see. We're ready. We're ready to get to know you too. Yeah.、Uh, but for the thirteenth and fourteenth episode, we will be talking. We'll be continuing our、um, structure of feeling. Like series, it's an ongoing. <laughs> it's an ongoing series,、um, where we brought up in episode eleven and twelve、um, that we've been really interested in the shows that seem to be working with like the supernatural in order to change the present or some kind of like you know the way that、um, tomorrow with you. Works through time traveling to try to change the present, and in the show that we're going to talk about for this episode, and episode fourteen, Legends of the Blue Sea,、um, the premise is that the characters are really they're they're trying to learn about their previous lives. So rather than time travel, it's、um, through reincarnation or by Understanding their past lives, that they might be able to change the present. Yeah,、um, and it seems to tie it tied in really well、um, with our time traveling show,、um, in part because you know both of these、uh, series really reflect characters that want to make change,、um, characters that are seeking some aspect of transformation. Um, characters that want,、um, you know, sometimes it's aspirational, but I do think it's actually more self-reflexive. I think in both of these contexts,、um, in which they recognize that something, something has gone wrong, or something was previously unresolved, and they have to seek, seek out new ways、um, to. To resolve these things, to address these things, and sometimes the、um, in the case of Legend of the Blue Sea,、um, it's sort of there are two、um, narratives. So from their past lives and their present lives, and、um, we, as we learn more about their backstory, it kind of starts to like、uh, predict certain elements that happen in their current lives, and. There's a lot of these sorts of questions about、um, what is the role of knowing this. You know, what is the role of like remembering these things? What is the role of like this kind of transference of information between、mm-hmm. past and future selves in a way? Like, and whether it acts as a kind of、um, warning or as a form of protection or as something that、um, is opportunity. You know, opportunity to change something that.、Um, Or fulfill something that didn't happen、yeah. in the past, and that that happens a lot in this particular series. Whereas they're recovering these memories of their past selves,、uh, 
Um, and they're seeing how fate is, uh, it's like continuing, like actually in that these are not um, separate instances, actually. It's that they're continuous. It's a continuum of um, their destiny in a way. Yeah. Uh, so in order to sort of structure, or sh- um, we're going to give you like a very quick overview or maybe a, a full overview <laughs> of the show in case you have not seen it. Um, you can just follow along our, with our thoughts. Um, Kim sort of went into it already, but uh, the show is sort of set up so that you first interact with this previous previous story like a a story set in kind of like hundreds of years ago um in a different dynasty um but the main characters have stayed the same um and you know this because their faces and bodies have stayed the same so no one ages everyone looks really good (laughs) everyone in the past in in the the present very very good looking yes. across the board, but, <laughs> except uh, for the except for one of the serial killers. Yeah, the serial, serial killer disgusting. literally even has like bad teeth, even though he's rich. So, you know, I think that they they're trying really hard to um, make it clear that he's not good looking um, throughout his entire, you know, all of his lives. He has not been good looking. But uh, the main characters is that that there is a mermaid. And she is someone who continuously, or in the previous dynasty, she accidentally kind of landed um, on shore and then was captured um, and then has, um, then is preyed upon by this soon to be serial killer merchant who wants to bad teeth merchant bad teeth merchant you know you know he's like totally a part of like the proto capitalist like extractive capitalist who's like ooh you exotic animal must take you um and that's what he thinks of her um he basically calls her a fish he's like is this a human or a fish and and more or less refuses to believe that she's anything she's she's like yeah she's basically a commodity and an object we've heard this narrative before totally (laughs) let's just say we've heard this narrative before her power in her previous life seems to be that she can uh change people's memory she can erase them um and then she that there's also you know of course she has a love interest um who is kim do you want to yeah, he is the, I don't know, the head of the town, town magistrate. What is that? <laughs> yeah, he is uh, the head. He's a civil servant. He's a civil servant. He's literally he's a civil a, servant. He's not a king. Very, <laughs> yes. Um, he's a civil servant, but he is definitely framed as someone being, um, he's new, I think, uh, in his position. And the bad teeth merchant is like, well, I will, you know, basically gift you this mermaid as, because he's an incredibly corrupt person. And I think that it's like a way of sort of buying in uh, favor of the civil servant. And the civil servant is like, um, this seems real sketch. <laughs> and, and she, uh, essentially, because, um, well, we'll talk about it more later, probably. Um, 
when certain connections are made to a mermaid that is of an intimate variety, I don't mean just like romantic, just like a certain kind of relationship that has reached a, a kind of intimate level with the mermaid, that person, um, a human, uh, can start to like, hear the mermaid's thoughts. And so the mermaid is like, after she's been captured, is like, save me, <laughs> like, can you save me? And he can hear it and effectively, uh, you know, uh, convinces the, uh, or threatens, I guess, the um, bad teeth merchant um, to let her go and effectively saves her from um, what is likely a situation of torture and exploitation. Well, um, he wants to extract oil from her the way that, like, I guess. And he... her, her tears. Yes. So mermaid tears um, are pearls. Um, so there's literally an economy of her tears <laughs> that are, is created. And so wow. they, yeah. Um, so he sees that this is going to happen, basically um, convinces him, threatens him, um, says that he has a lot of other information about all of his shady dealings and uses that to uh, leverage the release of this mermaid. And we learn as the series progresses, the reason why he is able to hear her internal voice is because they actually have a long relationship where they've known each other as children and um, fell in love with each other, I think, uh, as teenagers. Um, but he was set to marry um, a human and she decided that uh, it was better to erase his memory of her um, because, you know, their relationship was never going to work out, um, her being from the sea and all. Mm -hmm. But this, uh, so this story then, when we move into the present, more or less replicates itself, where you have a scenario where the, the evil merchant appears once more, essentially to do the same thing, to extract resources from the mermaid and basically sees her as the opportunity to grow rich or richer and thinks that anyone preventing him from extracting her body like her uh, and killing her is preventing him from what he feels really entitled to which is more wealth so he it seems like throughout time he's been sort of following her and him around to um in order to to i don't know what i don't even know what you would call it. i mean to torture her yeah. a little bit but also because he this has been the cycle that's repeated is that like yeah sorry kim mm -hmm. but he also doesn't operate alone yes yeah he doesn't operate alone he works in tandem with his I mean, I guess it's like a, is it a romantic relationship or is it just some weird long-term childhood relationship? I think it is romantic, um, sort of, but they're both basically serial killers <laughs> and, and they both have these very, uh, like exploitative intentions. Um, the, the woman that he's working with also is in the present day, um, is like also plotting a number of other things but in the past she is his concubine i believe mm, yeah <laughs> um, and she also does a lot of um a lot of evil 
work, um, including poisoning, poisoning people. Um, Slowly over time. And, yeah. And also she does a lot of work in terms of um, getting the town kind of in a fearful tizzy about the presence of this mm -hmm. like mermaid who yeah. will inevitably come and enchant everybody and destroy their lives. Right. Uh, so he works in tandem with another serial killer. So they appear together. They're finally, finally, we have a serial killer duo. I know. Last time we were almost going to tell you that we came up with a term for this, like serial killer agency or something, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, we don't think that like we, we we're not trying we're not interested in serial killer agency, but it is it seems like they're becoming more complicated because <laughs> now he's not operating alone. Um, he has a partner and they're being re reincarnated through time. I mean that's yeah. that's how committed to murder they are. <laughs> yeah, that's how committed to capitalism and murder they are. <laughs> Um, and there's something that the guy, the former civil servant who in the present is essentially a con man. So what a great parallel. Great. <laughs> you go from civil servant, which like from the few classes I took in Korean society or on Korean studies, I can tell you like, you know, was like supposed to be like a somewhat respectable upper middle class occupation sort of it was supposed to be a, like a measure of like um meritocracy i guess because it was like a test that everyone could take and like it's just kind of like service to the government um and so the the fact that he's like reincarnated as a con man i think is really lovely I mean, like, I don't know if we're going to get true into fantasy, true fantasy, like, but also just a real, real punch in the gut, like yeah. to yeah. the liberal order of things. Right. Like um, and the and the kind of morality systems that perhaps like maybe if you cycle the morality system of like the quote unquote servant, civil servant, like what you actually get. We, what what the um, continuous lifespan of that is really um, like a suave, dashing con man, really. Um, the only person who is consistently reincarnated as a mermaid is well, the mermaid. Like she really only gets mermaid for her life through on the universe. So I don't really. Yeah, she yeah. isn't. Um... She's not like a she's, con man mermaid. She's just a mermaid. No, she's not a con man mermaid. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Um, but she she basically is like who she was then, I think. Yes. Um, because, but I do think that there is something in there about the fact that um, she is the only one that carries all the memories. Yes. You know, because she is someone that also for protection purposes, for whatever it may be, she like she erases memories, you know, or or that these people have to uncover their memories through a variety of different ways and like piece things together, but she's often the only one that remembers everything that has happened and she holds it within her um as like a kind of memory vessel of sorts. And so uh that is kind of her role then and it is true to her role um, yeah. in the present as well. Um 
so she she is also i think a bit more a little bit more of a victim in the past than she is in the present too yeah and so the cycle i think like the reincarnations play out a, the a tragedy where um the serial killers in the past have essentially gotten their way and the fate for the mermaid has been devastation which is then his fate um so in the present they're the characters are kind of piecing this together and sort of thinking about well one the con man is coming to terms with the fact that there is this thing called past life right Mm -hmm. like where it seems like what does it even mean to be connected to this thing called past life right which is very different from time traveling because this is like a magical power versus like this is just like you know, like he sort of uses hypnosis for the co- various cons that he um, takes up, right? Like just simple kind of um, tricks. And this seems to be a little bit more like a leap into a direction that he never would have, as a practical con man, um, would have taken, which is like, how does one access memories to this thing called a past life? And what does that mean? And a quote that he says kind of towards the end of the series that I actually reference a lot that I've used in, um, have included as an image (laughs) in an essay that I wrote um, is a quote where he says like, the the fact that the past is repeated is not a curse, it's an opportunity. So um, of everyone, and I, I mean, yeah, like it's unclear how the mermaid at times feels about the fact that it's just literally repeating, right? Like they literally have once again met up with the serial killer and his partner. They're literally um, in a, in a position where they're, they're going to perhaps face tragedy once more. Um, And he, after like understanding this, he really sort of comes to the assessment that like, you know, the redo is the opportunity. It's not a curse, which I, mm-hmm. which I thought was just a really interesting way to think about anything. Yeah, totally. And he like, um, it's well, you know, to go back to his like past um, self. You know, he had his family's total garbage. Um, his his uh, he had. His, his mother and father were together until he was like, I don't know, eight, nine, something like that. He young, was young. Um, and then the uh, serial killer, serial killer two, <laughs> um, wormed her way into their life and effectively, uh, you know, like seduced uh, his father into getting together with her and so then his mother abandons him um, in part because she interprets it as a kind of self-sacrifice that if she leaves her uh, like his father the wealthy father will um, take care of him at least but if she interferes then he might not have the life that she wants him to have um, which is bananas everyone this is bananas yes. logic this is bananas. Like, we, yeah. we'll, we'll talk more yeah. after about abandonment <laughs> I yeah. think. but but either way it's like his childhood is not good right but he he then runs away from home when he's in high school because his home life is just awful and he's he's basically like 
he's been abandoned by his mother and then he lives in the same household that has been abandoned by his father yes. even within that household um and so he basically like leaves cuts ties and they don't hear from him again and he doesn't want to be found you know and even as a profession as a con man you know it's like he has no past right it's just a constant reinvention of a new a new self each time and um and that i think we see that growth process of recognizing the importance of knowing the past, but not for the reason why he originally avoided learning the past. You know, like I think mm -hmm. he thought that it's like past is like a kind of burden. Um, and then he realizes that it's it's not about that. It's actually like, as you say, it's, it's opportunity. It's actually, um, and when he initially uh, gets together with the mermaid and is sort of haunted by all of these like memories and dreams about their past selves and the tragedy that awaits them. He feels really, um, you know, it's like he dreads it. It's, it stresses him out. He's like really concerned that like they're going to repeat this. And, and then he realizes that it's like, you know, similar to the time traveler where it's like, I am actually like squandering my current life. You know, yeah. I'm squandering this. If I actually don't like, rather than just like accepting it as this is our fate and our fate is to die together, I can actually still change this and I should change this and that I should live for today um, and actually actively work towards this in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that is part of why we paired tomorrow with you with legends of the blue sea because of like Kim's brilliant analysis that you have kind of a circling or a grouping of shows that are tr struggling real hard <laughs> with the they're sense, working at it <laughs> they're, they're, they're feeling really trapped by the present um we understand <laughs> we empathize <laughs> like something needs some kind of rupture needs to take place and the way that the show um the both shows are dealing with it is by attempting to do something some kind of at least uh, a, some, a connection with the future or a remedy of the past um, in order to ultimately affect the present, which is, which is the, 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 the real desire. So I think we empathize with this, but also I think we see this actually playing out in a lot of um, the kind of desires that I think are like the most interesting political desires as well. Like what is the point of understanding the past and what is the point of imagining a future? Um, if, it, if it's not about a rupturing of the present. Uh, and we thought that both of these shows, but particularly Legends of the Blue Sea, because it is a much better show, like in terms of quality of production, yes. beautiful it's people. very high level. You know, um, we'll talk about the fashion. Yeah, also. fashion <laughs> is like, this. oh my God, we don't have any mermaid suits to link you to on Posh <laughs> because this looks really good. Um, but also I think that like, you know what I thought was really great about this show other than the fact that like we can talk about Raymond Williams, Marxist literary criticism and so forth is just like how seamlessly, I, I think a lot of, I think if you grow up with only Walt Disney's Little Mermaid, mm. you kind of forget that, like, uh, you forget about how the mythologies and the the kinds of supernatural creatures also seamlessly exist in so many other facets. Um, 
yeah, like because fishing and like the sea, you know, it's so much a part of um, East Asian, Southeast Asian, like Asian spaces. It's like you, everyone is just like next to some body of water. And what you were gonna say something? Um, I was gonna say that it isn't um, that these tales are also um, ones that incorporate a lot more darkness and tragedy Yes, um, within them that I think that there's like a, you know, a cartoon kind of sanitization that happens a lot um, with these fairy tales, with these kinds of stories um, in this particular context. But uh, when we, when you expand that and think about um, different cultures and different countries and it's like, how much that you're, you know, you can still end up, I mean, not always, <laughs> they don't always end in happy endings. There's no, there's no perfect bow basically. And there's no, um, it's a basically, even if you get there, you can't get there without some aspect of tragedy or suffering or hardship or, you know, like a lot of that exists um, in these narratives, which is like, if you're teaching any lessons, if you're teaching lessons to the youth, can you at least just be honest? Like that's like, yeah. at least that's honest, you know? It's well, not, it's not like, uh, yeah, in the Disney-fied kind of way where, um, I mean, and we can talk more maybe, I don't want to jump ahead, but um, about Cinderella, you know, and. Totally. I mean, I don't know a version of even like the Little Mermaid grim fairy tale that you grew up with but the version in korean that i grew up with that i read which i know was a, like a kind of um it wasn't necessarily like a you know a korean myth but it was just like the books i read in korean um is it like an origin story one it was supposed to i think it was like a grim fairy tale sort of like retelling but in korean because mm -hmm. that's where i grew up um she takes her life like the mermaid takes her life and she turns into like a bunch of bubbles like the story that i remember growing up with was that like this mermaid loved a cre a, a guy but like never really had her affections returned and then or like maybe somehow it was sort of returned but there was some kind of misunderstanding so she ultimately she takes her life and becomes a bunch of bubbles so then I was really confused, I think, later on when I was like, wait, what? Like, um, and I, I don't really know what that lesson was supposed to teach me other than the fact that, like, love sucks and this stuff is really hard. And, you know. Well, and she, I mean, I think that, you know, not totally familiar with um, uh the one from Korea, but I do think that there is something in there about like an agency of like over your own life and your own body that I think um, in like a lot of Disney narratives, it's about being saved yes. and actually a type of ownership, you know, yeah. of <laughs> um, this relationship. Um, and it's kind of interesting to be like, I choose neither. <laughs> um, yes. So that is like this the overview of the of the show with lots and lots of really important details like the fact that the con man in present day has um, a team of really kind of adorable hackers and 
just people who work with him. Um, the cons are really interesting because he's he's trying to like swindle the wealth of essentially. They like, refer to it as re redistributing wealth. <laughs> yeah, they literally refer to it as a redistribution of wealth, um, which is once again an upgrade from civil servant. Yes. You know, so go him. <laughs> and, and yeah, so like those, the, the minor characters like, and the, the, the details are all really important. I also think like his abandonment narrative around like his parents, who his mother is, who his father is, become explored and we can talk about that more. But um, ultimately it's about kind of like the, the stories like they are, they've lived this life before it ended in tragedy. How does their present not end in tragedy? Like what can they do to make sure that they can live the life they want to live instead of the life that's um, that they lived in the past? Yeah, I, I think that there's like a lot to think about in terms of um, not only um, like the purpose of reincarnation in a way, but like, you know, I think um, we, you know, we see people in this series that live again and they effectively are, you know, a killer then, killer now, you know, <laughs> and it's like this continuation. Um, and I do think that there is something, um, I think when you were talking about our present moment and like the work that we do and just considering how, we do things for future selves. And it, and I, I don't mean that it's just for us as whoever we reincarnate in the future, but like future beings, you know, and to create, um, to, to send messages, to create yes. evidence, to, yes. you know, to like track these things that yes. we also know won't always, um, uh, you know, they won't manifest in the ways that we want them to in the present, maybe, but we still do them. Um, and I think that's one of the really interesting things about um, the series is where there are all these um, clues or messages, certain crumbs, you could say, that get left um, or tr like transfer between mm -hmm. themselves, you know, to mm -hmm. speak to speak to each other, to warn each other, to tell each other. Like he goes like he basically in the present is reading a book at one point and his past self like has a vision of himself in the future reading this book and mm -hmm. finds out he's going to die yeah. in 20 days. Um, and then they're both kind of piecing together. Like, why did he die? And he's like, why did I die? And he's like, why did he die? And like, it's a whole thing. But, but then they like, he learns the guy in the past is like, I need to find a way so that when I am reborn, I am able to like piece together this narrative and get there faster actually like and that and that is like an interesting thing as like um you know in terms of a kind of labor too where it's like creating a kind of evidence that's like we don't we're not going to be around forever to like be able to share some of these things but if we can create these crumbs and create these things that get us there faster in the future like that's what we're going to do and so I, I think that's actually one of the most fascinating things um about the series yeah, and as you were talking, I actually was thinking like, and I don't know why this never occurred to me, but it is really interesting that reincarnation, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Kim. I don't know if I have the authority um, on this. 
Well, I think like the way that reincarnation is sort of loosely understood is like it's not about you being reborn as a version of yourself, mm-hmm. like physically with potential to like the same kinds of memories, right? And I do, I think mm-hmm. that, that that's really fascinating in this series that like, because I think that, that that's how perhaps like Buddhism and reincarnation has been weaponized um, against mm-hmm. people, right? Like, oh, like you were born this way because of, because you're being, because of a punitive kind of, it, it's yeah. punitive right? Like you yeah. are this because of for punitive reasons. Um, and I think this is how it's been explained to me before in terms of like how you get something like that's supposed to be fairly, you know, like that's kind of sanitized as like peaceful and Zen to actually create like oppressive government structures. It's like, well, like there's a way that you can make this quite punitive. Um, the system like is about you know, justifying where you are in the present according to some kind of previous past structure or self, whether or not you're aware of this. And in this show, it's not about that at all. It actually doesn't even go anywhere near the punitive or the punishment or even like the victory. It's just like, you're going to live the same life again. Mm-hmm. Like, so how, what are the crumbs you're going to live uh, leave for yourself? Um, and... If you, how many times do you have to redo this, this version of this, to actually get something else? Do you even want something else? Because the interesting thing for the serial killers is that they don't want anything else. You know, like, what does that mean? Like, they've lived just as many lives and they still just want to extract material goods, murder people, and be in cahoots together. Like, that's, that's all they want. They don't even desire something different. And... That's the kind of main difference in the main characters is that like they're trying so hard for some kind of, you know, some slight alteration, some other kind of, um, I don't know, intervention. Mm-hmm. I mean, but also at the same time, almost coming to terms with the reality that they might just live the same fate, Absolutely. live the same life, right? Where. They, at a certain point, there's like this epiphany where he realizes that the tragedy isn't that they both die. It's the tragedy, their love is the tragedy. Yeah. That they fell in love with each other and it, yeah. that brings them to their deaths, you yeah. know? And that is like, and then they, they make like an active decision that they're like, no, our, it doesn't matter how many times we live and it doesn't matter that if we die at the end of it, um, the love is what mattered, you know, and that like, we're still going to like, it's like, that's like, whoa, <laughs> like, okay. Like, so, die. like this is so, it. so dark and Asian. Like, it's it's like, so dark and Asian. I'm just like, okay. Like, like I mean, also, it's, like it's a, it's super a, heteronormative. You're like, super heteronormative. It's just, it's just me and you forever. <laughs> you're like because forever is not that long because we don't make it that far because there's serial killers that are out to get us um no but really i do think that yeah they they do come to kind of some uh acceptance that but that might also pave the way for transformation yeah because they actually accept it right that they're okay and not okay they accept because i don't know if they're actually okay they accept that um 
they will meet again they will try yeah. again and that is all they can really ask for of their lives and it seems like actually they sort of this is a cycle they don't mind repeating which is mm-hmm. really weird because i do think that the serial killers also don't mind repeating <laughs> they're they're feeling pretty good <laughs> about themselves so in conclusion serial killers are much more satisfied with their reincarnated past and future lives and wow yeah and just like aliens and humans you know like serial killers then and serial killers now same same (laughs) um to kind of continue with our theme of apparently just more emotionally available (laughs) men but also interesting women right to, yeah. to, to change the course and the tune from tomorrow. Kim, do you want to take it away with... Um... Yeah, our, our civil servant turned con man. Yeah. Um, he, you know, when, when the series, I first started the series, I was a little bit, like, put off by him. Um, and I remember texting you just being like, why do we only get... It's, if it's not emotionally unavailable, it's dictator. And if it's not dictator, it's infantilization. Like, what are these options? Because he kind of, in the beginning, he's like, it's a very slick kind of character. But he, um, I don't know. It's like he infantilizes her when he first encounters her. He, like, kind of talks down to her a bit. It's, it's like, a little bit much. And then it starts to soften. Um and then you kind of, you know, you kind of forget about it. And uh, as the series goes on and he's like, actually, um, probably our new, new gold standard. Look, <laughs> um, this is the note that Kim wrote in our notes doc of all the things that we're going to talk about for the various episodes. Oh, dear listener, if you knew how organized we were and how serious we were about this podcast, I mean, like, how often we update the doc full of notes. We're up early in the morning updating this doc. We're like, oh, new note. Um, Kim literally wrote, and I quote, he has the emotional competency of romance, comma, the reflective awareness of time traveler, comma, and the handsomeness of crash, exclamation points, like four of them, which is like, I I would second this. Like, this is a very yeah. accurate assessment of the main dude in Legends of the Blue Sea. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty perfect. And we, we don't like to throw that word around, but <laughs> it's true. Um, but I do think that it points out, though, um, a pattern that, at least I kind of feel with a lot of um, K-dramas and it's like a kind of um, compressed characterization that is not specific to the male characters, but like all the characters where I feel like when we first are introduced to a lot of characters, their um, personalities and characteristics and behaviors seem really exaggerated, um, almost in a way to speed up I think narrative development or something because you know we are working within a different sort of format where it is one season longer episodes but it's one season only it's not like we have you know 24 episodes and six seasons to you know who's your daddy or whatever (laughs) as we've discussed in the past and so I feel like they try to really compress um this our understanding of particular characters right away so you're like oh so he's this guy and this guy and this guy you know, and you just kind of figure that out. But then as the 
um, episodes go on, some of those things are just like less extreme or they soften um, some of those characteristics so they're not quite as abrasive. Um, I think that for him, one of the things that like, um, he, he comes off, I think, as a little bit more sort of vapid and like, um, you know, not quite as um, warm, you know, like I don't think that he, which, I mean, it makes perfect sense because he's a con man, you yeah. know, and he essentially has to kind of wear a mask rather than actually, you know, presenting any kind of interiority and also yeah. being someone that has, you know, is basically an orphan, right? And has like looked out for himself. Um, and so all of those things add up um, completely. Um, but I think he has a way, I think, in the beginning um, with the mermaid where he's always just like giving her lessons and like explaining oh, how she should live. And, like, because <laughs> she doesn't speak and she doesn't know, she doesn't, she doesn't speak the any languages. Well, okay. Yeah. And this is like the thing that like, I realized after the fact, like why one of the reasons I like didn't like him in the beginning was I think there was like a sensitivity to um, like effectively an immigrant narrative, sure. you know, where she is a mermaid. Um, she's someone that has like landed in this like foreign place. Um, and because she's someone that doesn't speak, she is, or doesn't speak their language. She's unfamiliar with like behaviors and customs and like the ways that they communicate with each other. Um, and she does things that, you know, they are just like, well, like she eats with her hands, you know, um, she's someone that doesn't believe in lying and she like, just like kind of is really blunt or, you know, just like behaves in a way that like people are like, whoa, like this is uncivilized, you know? Mm -hmm. And so because of this though, she is immediately, and we're watching this in the first episode, all of this happens, like a lot of this happens just like in the first episode where she immediately is accused of being a criminal um she doesn't because she doesn't understand english uh when she's like getting kicked out of this mall um she like the mall cops uh immediately just like escalate the conversation because she doesn't respond back to them because she doesn't understand english they're like well she must be crazy and they get really aggressive with her that that basically she's inconvenienced them mm -hmm. because she doesn't even understand any of these rules about what this place is, the hours, like all of these like different systems that they've created, which have no place in her home, the sea, you know, so I don't know why she would have to like understand these customs. Um, she's frequently called like dumb or stupid or simple-minded um, because her knowledges are not recognized in this world. One yeah. of the reasons why she doesn't speak is because mermaids just hear each other's internal voices. So she doesn't need to have like that. It's like her language and her mode of communication and her knowledge is like not recognized in this world. And so they're just immediately like, well, she's stupid. Um, which I think is like why like, I think he names her too uh, a name that's like kind of like simple minded or like clean minded or something yeah. like that too, which are like stupid, like basically. And it's like, ah. So that part was just like really. I think off-putting to me. I mean, um, in the beginning, and I do think you're so right about this kind of like immigrant parallel or this sort of racialized parallel because, essentially, the within the first like twenty minutes or thirty minutes of her being on shore, she's incarcerated. 
Like, yes. Immediately. And then they add yeah. on. Like, they're like, you did this. Well, we heard about these other break-ins, so you obviously did that too, <laughs> with no evidence. Um, but also, she it's amazing because she doesn't recognize the police station oh, as being she's a like, thing, which is so great. She's like, I do not understand your authority. I do not recognize your authority. I do not understand or recognize your currency. Right? So, like... <laughs> Yeah, the the sort of um, the way that they explain why he even goes and connects back with her is because he spots like an item that he can like resell or something like she's like in possession of a really important uh, bracelet and it's like worth six million dollars yeah because it's really old and she found it at the bottom of the ocean and she's like basically uninterested in it you know she's yeah. she's like uninterested in objects she's uninterested in currency she's uninterested in their authority i mean it's unclear at at actually what she is interested in (laughs) i mean until later she's interested in food oh yeah sorry she's interested in food and being like kind of adorable as in like just kind of reenacting like mimicking what she sees around her and just being maybe like curious she's interested in curiosity and food she eats a lot You know, and I think she's interested. Well, I think what you're pointing out too is like she's also interested in things that um, do not function within this economy. You know, mm-hmm. like I think she likes luxury, but not like not their definitions of luxury within like commodities. You know, like I think that like there's like scenes of her like doing like spa treatments in the ocean. Like, oh my god, yes. <laughs> Like you know, she looks a- good. She takes care of herself. She makes like sunglasses out of seashells. <laughs> yeah, she she's taking care of her skin. Um, some you know, like Kim immediately like told like texted me about like the scene where somebody stops her on the streets <laughs> and she's like, "Don't say you don't go and see a dermatologist. Like, tell me who you, tell me who you go see." And she's like, "No one," you know, because like she's bathing in the in the ocean and like talking to the animals and the you know the the different particles of the ocean to like affect her skin so it's not like she's not in the ecosystem of the of things that perhaps other people would be interested in but she's not like she's she's not here to be like okay i'm gonna get rich and like find a husband and like you know, not have a criminal record. She's just like, hi, I'm here. Where the, the snacks are great. Um, it seems okay. Um, I guess I don't remember that in my past life I met a serial killer on on shore who tried to kill me. <laughs> so I'm back here <laughs> having a great time. <laughs> back here having a great time, eating a lot of pasta. Totally forgot about those serial killers. <laughs> Gosh, they really come back consistently. They're very resilient. Yeah. Uh, alarmingly resilient. Um, she's. <laughs> I also made a comment that she's she's thirsty. She's a very in the beginning. <laughs> she's she's real thirsty. This is a li- this is literal and meta- metaphorical simultaneously. <laughs> I mean, like she needs a lot of water, um, but also. The thirst is real uh, on a different <laughs> level. 
Um, but there's something like really beautiful that Kim also wrote in the doc where she she Kim wrote she has the ability to erase memory and he has the ability to rewrite it. Um, and we were sort of talking about how part of why we felt so impressed with his character was because of his own kind of family of origin story of the fact that he grew up in this household where like he was abandoned by his mother and he was abandoned by his father and his decision from this family structure becomes that he will abandon his inheritance and his wealth. So rather than kind of, um, yeah, like that, that this was then like the departure for him um into some other kind of space that did not have the abandonment of the father and the mother right like a rejection of just the material conditions of that space which is i do think part of i think that like him actually talking about this and him taking i mean he doesn't like use these terms but he does really like you see him kind of departing from their system departing from their wealth partaking in this thing called redistribution um Mm -hmm. you know maybe not like under the banner of socialism but nevertheless like he's not like i'm going to be incorporated into this class i do think like makes us feel like okay this is somebody who's really thoughtful and has really thought about his decisions and has really thought about power in his life Mm -hmm. and violence in his life and and so you know, in order to find this thing called intimacy, like, because he doesn't really know it yet, right? Like, that's the best, like, the best thing you can do is at least um, grapple with, like, the violence, the violent forms of power in your life if you're going to have any other interaction, such as, like, love or, you know, be it familial and otherwise. Yeah, he really, um, when we, we start the series, it's like, he's already kind of reached that point, you know, where he's already done that work in a way, which is really quite refreshing that it's not a narrative of like, like she has to, you know, walk him through it or that there's some sort of like the residual stuff isn't actually um, that kind of work that he should have been doing alone. Mm -hmm. You know, when we see him, he's kind of actually addressed some of those things, identified it, sort of established a foundation that opens him up for that investigation of intimacy or that like actual true, like opening up of letting someone into his life again. And the realization that in part his affection towards her, even though he doesn't understand immediately, like what his connection is to this person. It's, it's almost like, it's like um, he didn't realize it, but it was like, oh, I, I actually did that work. I did that work, and now someone, I've, I have um, unwittingly almost like opened myself up now to have someone come into my life. Um, I think that what you're saying though about um, that rejection, you know, it's like such a complete rejection yeah. of his father and of that life in a way that is also um, really. I feel like it was just like so. Um, perfectly complex you know where it's like he understands that it's not enough you know like that divestment is not enough to just simply be like i left that household or i left my father i don't talk to him it's like when he actually reunites with his father uh where they i don't say reunite they meet um and you know he says very explicitly that i do not accept 
any aspect of your life. Like, I don't want the money. I don't want the lifestyle. But the things that come with it as well, that I know come with it, that come with power, and that is that capacity and uh, ease in which you throw people away or you abandon Mm. them or that you treat them as commodity or that they're expendable. And he's like, I know that those things come with that. And I also don't want that. And I like, it's like a complete rejection. And I think like, you're so right that he has done this work and perhaps this is the only way that we can actually even imagine that then this is not going to like in, in, on a kind of, um, on, on some level, this is like an interspecies love story, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, you know, it's, there's a way in which you can like pull from like miscegenation or like, you know, the kinds of like all of the fears and all of the sort of um, the intoxication around that. But also like, this is supposed to be like, okay, who's going to live? Who can live on land? Who can live on water? Like once you sort of go past the romance, like someone has to give something up. And I think you get a story where both people, or at least he fundamentally is like, I've completely departed from this thing called um, my origin story because Mm -hmm. I recognized it was violent. And so like, I, you know, to the, the, the story ends with him actually building a space that is near the water, like right on the water, so that she doesn't have to choose between one form or the other. And mm-hmm. I think that like that is could could only really be set up by someone who sees like w- there's a difference between a rejection of your origin because of its oppression and its violence and a fundamental suppression of who you are for this thing called love, right? Like, because that would make it something different. And that's what you're saying about like, you know, asking someone, like throwing people away, which I think goes in hand with asking someone to throw something of themselves away, Mm -hmm. right? Which is so much about, which is so much of heteronormative romance, right? It's It's all about like, suppress who you are, suppress your desires, suppress what you wanted. We're moving forward into this like cookie cutter universe and like it is it is what it is. And like they really do imagine and create this space that's a little bit siloed from the society that they both came from. Um, I mean, we're not going to say that this is like some kind of queer fantasy, but I think that like just in terms of emotional complexity and work that imagines two characters having to uproot certain things inside of them in order to enter into this space of intimacy, something that they actually don't know or mm-hmm. haven't really experienced themselves. Like it was, a, it was fairly well thought out, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think when you were talking, it made me think too about um, the uh the dimension that they give to greed and our understanding of greed, actually, um, where, you know, I think like we always have like a very immediate association of greed and like capital, of course. Um, but there was an interesting line where, um, I think when it's like, you know, he knows that this is going to happen and that they're going to, um, that, you know, it's that loving each other might not um, lead to a happy ending. It's actually just going to point them to tragedy. Um, He says that despite everything, like I like 
maybe I don't let her go because of my greed and she doesn't let me go because of her greed. And it's this interesting thing to think about um, love as a kind of greed Mm. in a way. Um, And, but like in this dynamic, it's like, it's actually uh, a kind of greed where it's like uh, a greed that leads to self-sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In a really interesting way that I think is not something that we see very often um, when we see depictions of greed or like examples of greed. And I just thought that was like a really interesting thing to think about, like that um, you can want something so badly, but that it like requires something for you to like to give up, you know, that you give up something, which um, maybe goes back again to, yeah, what you were saying just about like, like letting go of something. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, we're always, we're impressed. We're impressed with departures <laughs> from the father. We're, we'll just, sorry, this, uh, um, there's no way we're not, we're going to be underwhelmed with this uh, narrative structure. It's <laughs> like, you know, like, um, it's like the, the Donna Haraway tease that white feminism just gave up on that we have never given up on. We're like, wait, you decided to be an orphan you like picked this life for yourself where you were like fuck the father like i'm just gonna you know be not 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 just because though like that would be fine but because you recognize the violence because mm-hmm. you fundamentally refuse to replicate the violence and and that's something that i i um i did think we could touch on today that like Kim sort of described this show as Ocean's Eleven meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I think is a perfect, perfect description of the show. But there's also an element of like, you know, the kind of Cinderella stepmother evil stepmother kind of like silent father trope that comes into it that I think we could talk about in that like, the figure of the abandoning or the silent father, the silence is emphasized and it's exaggerated because it's an exaggerated and violent um, silence. It's it basically, instead of him being kind of, instead of the father sort of seeming like unintelligent, in the show, the father is painted to be like an enabler of abuse, um, which... I always thought that the dad in Cinderella was exactly that. Like, if you cannot see that there's abuse happening as the patriarch, I mean, like, I don't really know what to say to you. But here, it's like, it's really magnified that, like, he's very much the enabler. But also, then the son recognizes that it's not that the father is innocent and cannot see it, but he enables it. And so that becomes, I think, part of the rejection of the father is that, like, it's not about the fact that you married a serial killer and took her on as your, you know, as my stepmother. But it's the fact that, like, ultimately, you're okay um, with so many forms of violence because that's actually what you kind of desire. Mm-hmm. Well... And he says, I think, when they meet again for the first time after a long time, where he's like, you chose to let us go. 
Yeah. You chose to let me go. You chose to let my mother go. Like you and it, and like really making him accountable for that. Absolutely. It's like you chose it. Like we, yes, we left, but you chose it before we left, you know, like you, you did this. (laughs) And I think that we've, we've seen a lot of almost exclusively shit fathers in like all the shows that we watched or covered, um, on this series. Um, and there are different gradations of that enabler of abuse. Like, I think that you know, the, the father in something in the rain is an enabler of abuse. He like, even though he's a nice, he seems like a nice, you know, enough person, like tries to stand up for her at times, but often just lets it happen. You know, that his wife just like is terrible to their child. Right. And so, um, and I think that we do see a lot more of like the turning the other cheek, pretending it doesn't happen um there's i think uh one spring night was like a real real horrible horrible father that was more um more of a direct kind of of violence and aggression for sure but i think that this one is you know it's it's such an example i think of um that ignoring it is still a type of like self-serving thing to do, right? Like he doesn't want, he ignores it. He willfully refuses to not see that abuse because he doesn't want it to interfere with like his narrative, his life, the convenience that he, you know, or also to like absolve his guilt, yeah. right? Like it's like, I have to ignore this to basically justify the fact that I, yeah, I did choose. I did choose and I chose wrong. But I, if I like, it's basically an admission of guilt by acknowledging that abuse. Right. And he, and so he just is like, because of his like patriarchal pride, basically, he's just like, no, I don't see it. Everything is great. And then even like, you know, kind of performs a kind of gaslighting too, you know, when his son is just like, you treated me terribly. Like, I know that, like, I, it's like, I exactly know what happened. And He's like, are you saying that I loved your stepbrother more than you? How is that even possible? And he's like, I don't know, dude. You tell me. Like, you're the one that did it. And it's like, I think there's something very amazing about, and like how strong that is to be like the child that was abused and like abandoned and to look him in the eye and say, it's like, I see you. (laughs) I see you. Even though you don't seem to see yourself yet but I've done the work and I see you (laughs) so hard. Um, we're running out of time, but I wanted to say that, um, something that Kim and I came up with when we were thinking about the show is we were texting and we said, we reincarnate to learn how to defeat you. You reincarnate to oppress us and our future selves already know. Yeah, so our future selves, we already know. <laughs> um, is, this, is this warning? Is this lesson? <laughs> Maybe um, it's both. <laughs> I feel like we have so much to talk about in terms of just like fashion and all of the other elements and just forms of abandonment, which I do think are really important. So I hope we can talk about that in part two. But we have a mm-hmm. special guest for part two. Um, yes. And... We're very excited. 
So we'll make sure that we can touch up on this sort of, or is that is that the right idiom? As an immigrant, I, I get idioms wrong. <laughs> it's very true. I'm like, wait, what? Like, oh. this is why we. This is why the mermaid means so much to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something, some idiom. Like, we'll be sure to pick up, pick up, not touch up. Um, pick up on forms of abandonment. I and, mean, we could talk about how smooth their skin is too. If you want to talk about totally. touch ups. <laughs> And um, and fashion in the very next yes. one. Yes, we definitely want to talk about the fashion. It is stunning. Um, stunning. But it would be interesting to discuss um, as well just some shifts. This was in 2017, so three years ago now. Yeah. Um, but overall, the clothes um, have gorgeous. aged well. Are gorgeous. But thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. We yeah. appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And we will see you, or we will speak to you very soon. Yes. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.